Fish just handed to me. The following podcast is a Save Productions production. If anything should happen to me, you must go to court. You must say these words. Klaatu, Marada, Victor. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to our regular weekly episode of Sci-Fi Watcher, episode 144, or as we like to call it here, the gross episode. I'm Corey Shred. Joining me as always, my friend, Mr. Brian Lee. Brian, how's it going? Hey, Corey. Good to be here, man. Yes, we are doing our dozen dozens episode today. Our dozen dozens. Dozen dozen. Dozen dozen. What do you mean? 144 is, is called gross. A dozen dozen. Ah. Uh-huh. 12 times 12, yeah. <laughs> I learned something. <laughs> the more you know. G.I. Joe. <laughs> all right well let's get going here let's uh let's talk about sponsorships you want to help out the show here five dollars head on over to sci-fi watcher.com slash sponsor and we will talk about your website twitter account or anything else you have at sci-fi watcher.com slash sponsor all right checking out the news this week uh brian's got a story about the third film in the chronicles of riddick series called riddick what's up with that yeah actually uh riddick's first weekend um on dvd uh, they got number one on the DVD sales charts, and uh, we got a little dance off by Vin Diesel afterwards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we Vin- saw that video. <laughs> yeah, Vin Diesel was excited because not only is he excited because he's quote, "I'm just excited and happy," and I'm shouting out to you guys, to say thank you. Universal just called him and told him Riddick is number one on the DVD charts, and there's no way they could have done it without you guys. Uh, you know that, and you guys have been part of the page since Facebook page since 2012. And remember the long work it is, and also. It's been announced. They called him and said they're doing the fourth Riddick film. So we will yeah. get a fourth film in the horribly titled Chronicles of Riddick trilogy. <laughs> and I just wonder what they're going to call it now. I don't. I think they should go the Chronicles of Riddick subtitled something. Yeah. Well, the other thing that, that was on this list is Riddick the Complete Collection was number six, which was pretty awesome for them. Yeah. I, I mean, I think, you know, I think part of the reason was Riddick – is the first film of the of the these tr- trilogy these three films here that is rated R, mm-hmm. and I think that these films should have been made for an R rating. You know, there's a lot of action. There's Screw some the MPAA, right? Yeah, I, I mean, you know, it's not the MPAA's doing; it's the movie studios. You know, a lot of these studios make these PG thirteen films to get more of an audience in. They figure, oh, PG thirteen, we're gonna get those teenagers in there. Or it's like, oh, the parents won't take them, blah, blah, blah. More money, they figure. But to me, if I see – I've seen some films that are like action-packed and it's like, uh, you know, it's PG-13. If you had just put a little bit more in it, it might have been a more enjoyable film. Are you talking also like The Expendables? See, that one's always an R rating no matter what. And they still have an audience that comes and watches it because they, they're getting – they know what they're going in for, right? Well, yeah, and that's what I think too. I, if I see an action-packed violent type of film of some sort like you know like that those films rambo um you know films like that terminator if i see an r rating i kind of know what i'm expecting if i see pg-13 i'm like ooh, this is going to be kind of toned down it's not gonna be as good as i expect i mean riddick is known for his violence and that's funny though i mean we had a we we had to talk about this and we had to think about it was pitch black pg-13 was chronicles pg-13 and apparently it was but the violence is still there to, but to me, 
watered down violence, I guess. Uh, yeah, I guess so. But to me, Pitch Black was I questioned Pitch Black because it it didn't feel like it. Yeah, we, they, the way they did that one somehow. I think it was shot was well. Yeah. Um, a lot of cutaways when you know the death scenes happen, they cut away. Plus, plus, I mean, I sound like an idiot saying this, but it took place in the dark. So a lot yeah. of the, the violence was never shown on screen. It's just you see quick flash of something, but you never saw any like blood or anything. And blood, I mean, I think. Um, do you remember uh, Kill Bill? Mm-hmm. They had to tone down the violence because there was so much blood in the second one. Mm-hmm. And what Quentin Tarantino does was like, okay, I you don't like the side of, uh, of red, I'm just gonna make it black and white. Right. Um, pitch black. A lot of it was dark, so you couldn't really see blood. See that was that state to me. Know? That's good writing and good and good filming. That yeah. to me, that film I did not know was PG thirteen. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm like, okay, this is an R rated film. Okay, wow. But you know, to but there are films out there where they shoot it and you're like, oh yeah, you can see this could have been so much better if they had just gone up to the R rating. Well, they're also doing things now and releasing an R rated movie on DVD, like the Wolf, the movie uh, Wolverine that came out last summer. I think they made a PG thirteen that they showed on the screen, and then like, oh, buy the DVD that's unrated. And well, it's- they do that a lot of. Well, un- the only reason they call it unrated is because they're not going to go back to the MPAA just to release it on DVD. They just throw the scenes in there and say, "Here you go, it's unrated." It's right. It's one less. But it's step. a more violent feature. But something like Wolverine, I expect it to be in the PG thirteen market. It's part of that Marvel universe. You know, yeah. I, 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 I expect that. But I oh, here's the great example: Die Hard. The fourth Die Hard film came out, the one with Justin Long in it. That was PG-13. And it turned me off the moment I found that out because he could not say his famous line, yippee in the film. Did they do the one of those things where they cut right beforehand? Or? I think they take out the actual mf part, you know, that says yippee But, of course, then you can go buy the unrated DVD for it. But it's just like... Was the original Die Hard PG-13 or No, R? they were all R. But that one was yeah. PG-13. Yeah, watered down. They just water it down for general consumption. Yeah, don't don't do that. And it turns a lot of people off. You know, the, you know. Okay, well, I say it's PG- still up in the air if it's whether it's it really equates to more pe- seats. You know, more eyeballs or not. Yeah, I mean, to me, an action film. You know, a Pitch Black. I wouldn't. I wouldn't have taken my ten year old son to see Pitch Black. Even and that's PG thirteen. Mm-hmm. You know, it's that's the, the thing. thing is when Pitch Black came out, no one knew knew what to expect. Too true. But I think it was smart that they did make this an R-rated film, you know, Rick. And obviously, <laughs> there's one scene in there where it's like full frontal nudity. It's like, yeah, that's rated R. Yeah. But yeah, it, 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 the second film, that was the well, we'll talk about it in a minute. But yeah, the second film, it's like, yeah, I could kind of tell this is PG-13 after watching the nudity film. and I think a couple of cuss words. Yeah, it's, it's very I think there was enough. one F word. I remember that. Mm-hmm. We watched the, uh, um, the director's d- cut, too. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a little bit different. But we'll talk about that a little later. Here's something interesting. Of course, if you guys know, next year is 2015, which means Back to the Future Part 2 should actually be taking place <laughs> because, you know, <laughs> everyone knows that, you know, that's when they travel to 2015 at the end of the first film and the beginning of the second film. Well, apparently London's West End is going to make a musical for Back to the Future. It's actually going to be co-written by the creators, Rob Zemeckis and Bob Gale. To do this, they're going to do a stage adaptation, and Alan Silvestri will come back to do the music, and songwriter Glenn Ballard will, who will write music and lyrics for other songs in there. So they're going to take some of the songs that were in the film, and they're going to actually 
add more musical acts to it. Yeah. I, I'm scared. I, I like the little picture in the article at the end, just a friendly reminder, this is how we were supposed to dress uh-huh. next year. Yeah, I know. Jaws 19 should be coming out soon. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, it's a, a musical version. So I'm, I'm, are they going to do all three films in a two-hour edition? I think they're probably going to like splice all three somehow. Yeah. Somehow just blend them together into one story. Yeah, you got to. But... How, you know, I'm I'm trying to think. You know, how are you going to do this on stage? How are you going to make it the car like travel through time? Supposedly, I mean, oh, it's all going to be in your mind. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, that's the thing. I, it's going to lose something. And I think part. And I, I hate to say this, and forgive me, guys over there. I don't want to see English actors playing the parts. But why is it going to Britain? Why is it not coming here? Well, here's the funny thing. Here's an interesting fact for you. And here, here might be the reason. Um, they might not have the rights to make a Broadway play here. Uh, I know for a fact the film Clerks, Kevin Smith made the film Clerks, and in his contract, he couldn't make a, a musical version of it in the U.S., but the rights expired in what? England. The right, But listen, the rights expired in England years ago, so he was free to do it. Oh, their copyright laws are a little different? Yeah, whatever it is, how, like international law or something like that. Because Kevin Smith's like, yeah, I can't make a musical here yet until, like, 30 years after the fact or whatever like that or 40 years, whatever. He's like, but in London right now, I'm free to do whatever I want with Clerks. I can make a broad, a musical right now. That's weird. So it could be that's why it's over there. Um, but London's West End is one of the definitive uh, musical places. You know, you got Broadway and West End. Those are the two big places in the world. So it's not like it's off, off, you know, West End or like or some little, you know, off no, but Broadway. I mean, you think of musical, you think of like New York, you know. Yeah. Yeah, Broadway, Broadway in the U.S. and West End in London is very big. That's that's where a lot of big plays came from. Like I didn't Phantom know that. Of, okay. Yeah, Phantom of the Opera started over there. You know, that's you think of Broadway, but yeah, London has a lot of well-known plays that actually begin there. So I'm surprised that this 30-year-old film is going to be made into a musical. And who really wants to see it? Uh, you'd be surprised. People will show up in droves. I think it's going to be interesting. Um, hopefully, we'll get some bootleg clips from it online or something because I just. I'm afraid. I'm really afraid to see Marty <laughs> Doc and and please well, think of Spider Man the musical. How awful that was. Uh-huh. I don't know. It's it's like they're running out of ideas for original Broadway and uh, West End plays. Speaking of that, do we want? Do we still want to see a a Back to the Future like continuation or anything? No. It's one. Oh. It's it's one of those things that I I enjoy it for what it is. If you yeah. try to go back and add to it or remake it, you're going to take some of that magic away. Yeah, they're yeah. always going to be. It's always going to be that way. But I mean, I think just to see those characters again would be interesting. I think it would be kind of cute. Maybe do like a little, like a sh- mini episode or something. Even if they're the kids, I don't care. <laughs> it can't be the kids, to, you know, because I mean, uh, Michael J. Fox was the kids, and it's kind of hard to do that now. I mean, his kids. What? My, uh, Marty's kids? Michael J- yeah, Marty's kids. Yeah, he played his kids. Oh, I know that, but I mean, <laughs> but st- I don't know. Yeah, I, maybe a cu- I would think it'd be kind of cool to see a little skit. Maybe they're going to do one just for fun. That would be interesting. Put it on the DVD set, have you know Christopher Lloyd, Michael J. Fox come back and do something like where they're they're in 2015 or something. Yeah, just just to do it, just for fun. And then of course make it in that to that weird futuristic way they had it in the original film, those original series. You know, mm-hmm. the instant pizzas and you know. The weird double ties and all that stuff. 
<laughs> I, I think it'd be great. Maybe they will. You never know. But we will have to wait because next year is the year to wait for Back to the Future stuff. Because you know once 2015 hits, we're going to get all these references to, oh, to yeah. the second film. I still want a great sports almanac, though. <laughs> all right, so we move on to the coming section part of the show. This is where we get trailers of TV shows and movies. And we finally have an official trailer for Terry Gilliam's Zero Theorem, or as I like to call it, Brazil in color. I was going to say Brazil, too. Yeah, Brazil, too. But it's, it's like Brazil, but it's more colorful. Yeah. You know? uh, the premise of this, it's, it stars Christoph Waltz, which one hell of an actor, I, I think. You know, you, I agree. You know him from, um, what was that, Glorious Bastards? Is that like the Glorious big... Bastards where he got his first start. He also played in the Green Hornet, but mm. he wasn't good in that. Very talented guy. Knows multiple languages. Uh, yeah, he plays an eccentric and reclusive computer genius, played with existential angst, and works on a mysterious project aimed at discovering the purpose of existence or the lack thereof. However, it is... Only once he experiences the power of love and desire that he's able to understand his very reason of being. And uh, it's like almost like an acid trip to me. It's like he can go through different little realities inside this like gaming device. Yeah. Um, I think this is Terry Gilliam at his, at his peak or at his greatness, you know? This is classic Gilliam. Yeah. This is the stuff that I think a lot of the diehard fans want to see. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of scares me that Christoph Waltz keeps talking about himself as we – you know, like yeah. multiple personality or is there an invisible version of him next to him? I'm like, what the heck's going on? I'm curious, too. I mean, it, it looks interesting. I, I'm definitely going to see it. Yeah, I am, too. Um, I don't know if I go to the theaters. I want to see more from this. This could be one of those. This looks really great. And you sit there going, Ugh. I hope it's like a Brazil film where it's just this is amazing. And I can't wait to see it again. Type I mean, of it, it has glimpses of that already in this trailer. Mm-hmm. And he's got a bigger budget, it looks like. <laughs> yeah, that's part of it too. He, his stuff, the worlds he creates, he needs the money to make those sets. Oh yeah, you know, I mean, the the writing is so eccentric and out there. You but it, the, it looks like it takes you somewhere. That that's what I like about his film. It takes you to it takes you to another spot. It's not just a green screen. Yeah, that's what I don't want. I don't want a green screen. Ugh. Yeah. Uh, all right. So yeah, go check that out. And uh, you have a trailer for a uh, indie sci-fi short. What's this one? Yeah, it's an in, indie sci-fi short called Prospect, and actually it was a Kickstarter project that got funded. Um, it's a little, uh, it's pretty usual story. It's, it's, it's a coming-of-age story of a teenager on a toxic alien planet, um, and she's with her father, and they're hunting for precious materials, aiming to strike rich. It says, mm-hmm. when the father is attacked by a roving bandit, the daughter must take control. Um, you don't see a lot in this trailer, but um, it looked pretty decent for an indie film. Yeah, and it's a short too, so it's not going to be like a an hour long, or hour and a half long story we have to watch. I always like these success stories that you know they actually get funding outside of the Hollywood system. They get to do what they like to do. Uh, they want to. They get to make the movie they want to make. And it looks like it's from the scenes we saw. It looks like it doesn't cost much to make. They have suits on and they're in like a jungle. Yeah. You know, I mean, so it looks like it's pretty much going to be like an outdoors thing. It, uh, interesting idea. I'm curious to see where they take it. It could be a cookie cutter sci-fi film. You know, if anything happens to me, you, you do the, continue the mission and get back. And, mm-hmm. you know, you can go down the basic road, but I hope they don't go that way with this short. Yeah, it looks okay. Guy Pierce is coming out with a post-apocalyptic film called The Rover. Uh, 
the the article here over IO9 says you know they, when they think of combining post-apocalyptic movies with Australian accents, they think of Mad Max films, which is true. I thought of the same thing. Uh, but this film stars Guy Guy Pierce and Robert Pattinson, which kind of turned me off right there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's directed by David Michaud, and it's a follow-up to a film he did called Animal Kingdom. And the the summary of the film basically is: ten years following the collapse of society, a man will go to any lengths to take back the one thing that still matters to him. And of course, what that is, we don't know. Yeah, this looks like very much like an independent film. Yeah, it does. Um, but I want you know, it's one of those things I, I kind of want to see to see what is it that he wants to take back. Yeah, it reminds me of The Road. I don't know if you watched that movie. Did you yeah. watch that? Mm-hmm. It's got that kind of feel to it. Or uh, that one with uh, Denzel Washington. I forgot which one that was. Do you remember what I'm talking about? Oh, you know, you, you th- I thought that was The Road. No, The Road was, uh, I forgot his name. Oh, you're, th- you're thinking the, the book of, the book of, um, book of Eli. There you book go. of Eli. That's it. Yes. Okay. I haven't seen that one, but yeah, but this one looks like it takes place almost in an immediate post-apocalyptic future. It kind of looks like it's not that far no, out, you know, you know, it's like cars are still normal cars, and the buildings aren't like decaying and stuff like that. So yeah, yeah. there's no skinheads um, siphoning off all the fuel. <laughs> yeah, it still looks kind of like looks looks like ten years in the future from after something happened, but it's not like the world is totally different. I mean, and it makes sense because the technology didn't increase, so it's going to be the same technology. Yeah, that's so you can't go. These futuristic cars look like present day cars. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that's what they. I thought of that when I saw the cars. Like, okay, they're present day cars. Brian, Brian can make his complaint if he'd like. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's move on here. Let's talk about another show I do called Tardis Chronicles. With my friend Bill Constantini, where we geek out on all things Doctor Who related, like news, rumors, and so much more. Check out our double episode we're going to do this week, where we're going to talk about series eight predictions of what we expect to see from Peter Capaldi's first series on the show, and the, the classic Tom Baker adventure Underworld. Make sure you head over right now to TARDISChronicles.com to download or subscribe to the show, and new episodes come out on Sunday nights. All right, uh, let's do our thing. Which we're going to start changing names of this, the parts of the show here, but right now we're going to temporarily call this one Sci-Fi Throwback, and this is where we just look at classic stuff that we find online that gets released today. And uh, I got this one from the show Star Trek Voyager, which I thought was interesting off of Boing Boing. Uh, the first clip shows you that, the, you know, the spaceship Voyager is out in deep space, blah, 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 blah. And they only have so many photon fo- torpedoes. And according to the show, they only have 38 photon torpedoes. So, of course, they, cl- they cl- clip all the scenes where they use these t- torpedoes together. And it turns out that the, the Voyager had used, out of those 38, 123 torpedoes. <laughs> is that because uh, there's no, no way for them to refuel or get more is that that's yeah. that the whole thing well yeah the first I never clip, watch voyager sorry well yeah it's one of those they go in like a wormhole i think they're in the delta delta quadrant and they're coming back to earth so there's no starfleet out there they're by themselves so yeah there's no way to refuel the photon torpedoes it's like one and done you know there's no yeah, way to, I, yeah no way to hook up to it so and then of course the first scene the captain's like we only have thir- 38 photon torpedoes so and we can't recharge them or we can't refill them so we got to use them wisely <laughs> wow in the next seven years they show them using 123 and they even show them converting them and using them in other ways it's it's just funny yeah wasn't there a scene where they took some from the borg or something like that or yeah there was a state they had modified some of them to use them as different types of torpedoes and whatnot but it's, it's, did you watch this series uh, I did a little bit. I kind of liked it because it was different. 
Did they actually, did they never land on a planet or anything? I think there were planets out there and there were obviously other races that were out there. But okay. the problem is, though, you know, there's no Starfleet technology out there. Uh-huh. You know, it's kind of like you go into England and trying to plug in your phone into their outlet. It's this different outlet. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess, you know, it's like you're kind of. It, it would have been cool to if they kept to their guns and like, okay, 38. We're out. <laughs> that would have been, and you know what though, in, in the in the real world, if this if this, if they had done that, they would have been like, yeah, we're dead. We're yeah, dead. end of show. End of show. Game over, man. <laughs> yeah, go check that out. And as I say, check anything and everything else we talk about and so much more over at SciFiWatcher dot com. All right, we're doing some Riddick stuff, of course. This week we are talking about the second film called I don't know why The Chronicles of Riddick. Yeah, you're stuck on that. <laughs> I am going to be. The fourth film comes out, and they just call it Rid. I'm going to be like, nah, I'm done with you. I'm just, I'm just done. <laughs> uh, of course, Vin Diesel returns playing Riddick. Uh, Colm Fior plays the Lord Marshall. Vandy Newton plays Dame Vaco. Carl Urban. Uh, this is pre-Star Trek reboot. Carl Urban, yep. which yep. is interesting. Lord Lord Vaco. Uh, Alexa Davolis plays the character we knew as Jack, now Kira. And Nick Chunlin comes back from the animated uh, thing playing the character of Tombs. This was written and directed by David Tuohy, of course. Came out June 11, 2004. The original version was 119 minutes long, the PG-13, and of course the director's cut 135 minutes. And that's so, the version we watched. So does this make more sense now at the beginning to you after watching Dark Fury? It does, yeah. Well, I mean, it, the only thing that really makes more sense about it is the whole uh, Tombs character. That was it, really. Right. But you, you could have always said it's been five years, so it's one of those off off screen events that happens. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was kind of it it, it. it explains how, you know, he he took the um, Jack the, Jack and uh, the other guy Amon um, to uh, Helium Prime. You know, New Mecca. You know, we actually you know that was with the the animated short show too. Because he yeah. drops them off there. Because that, that's where this film starts off. And, and, you know, right away it's like, oh, yeah. So Tombs comes after him and stuff like that. It's like, oh, yeah, there's a bounty on your head and it's from Helen Prime. I'm like, I'm like, oh, I know who did it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like I saw, the, I saw the cartoon and I know who did it. Which makes you go, what the heck is he doing? I thought you were kind of like his friends. Like, why you put a bounty on this guy's head? Of course. I I uh I thought it was an interesting idea with these uh these necromongers. Kind of wish we could learn more about them. They're kind of like an unusual race. It's like I thought they were dead, but it's like do they worship the dead? Is there is is that their goal to become dead? I don't know. It's it's they're a very unique race. I don't think we've seen anything like that in sci-fi cult, uh films because yeah. the Lord Marshall is like quasi dead. Yeah, he's so it's, both. Yeah. <laughs> He's alive and dead. And, and Riddick is killing them. So it's I mean, I mean, it's a little bit of work, but he's killing these people. So I'm like, they must be alive. So I guess I guess that transcendence, which they didn't say the word transcendence in this whole movie that I heard of. I don't think so. You remember because at the end of the third film, they say transcendence. So I guess that's what they mean. Transcendence is moving on into being dead or whatever. The holy world, like heaven or whatever the heck these necromongers want to call it. Right. But I really love these characters. Um, That's why it bothered me that we did not get more of them in Riddick in the fourth film. Yeah, we'll have fourth, to fourth film. Third. Third. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to we'll have to talk about that uh yeah. afterwards. But yeah, I, I thought they were interesting. I love the idea that they basically destroy planets, take them over. 
Um, I love the idea with the, with the the comet. Every time you see a comet in the sky, you know that means they're coming. And it's not a comet; it's actually like their their statue or their their main ship or I don't know what it was that came down. But that's what was creating that comet trail. Yeah, you know. And I love the four headed uh, helmets they wear. Yeah, I love all the uh, you know the uh, what do you call it? the detailings they put up for this culture. It seems like they built the world out of nothing. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, with the, with those monoliths and uh, statues, and their armor looks totally unique. I think. Yeah, it's it's unusual. They're kind of goth looking. Yeah, you know, especially every time I saw Carl Urban, he's wearing the the, the black eye, eyeliner and stuff like that. It looked like he was like some eighties rock band. And it was weird when they showed uh, what's her name, um, his wife. Yeah, Dame uh, Vaco, I think her name is. Yeah, and she was like burning her makeup on or something. Yeah, I was like, ew. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was interesting how the people, you know, they take over the plants and say they tell these people, you know, you have a choice; you can either die or you can you can join us. Mm-hmm. And they hook up these people and they like stab them in their necks. I think they're kind of like uh, the Borg in a way. If I kind of felt like that. Yeah. You know, it's like you want to be loyal to us. We'll we'll hook you. And I did notice after that, everybody, every one of the necromongers had those little scars on their necks from where they got stabbed. Do you want to? I'm reading something here about the necromongers. If you want to hear yeah. about, it. okay, go ahead. All right, this is like the Riddick wiki. It says the necromongers are are a religious empire that zealously and violently follows and propagates its religion, necroism. Absolute fanatic group that believes life is antagonistic to the natural state of the universe they intend to convert or kill all who oppose them um, that makes sense yeah which i i kind of didn't understand later on in the film it's like didn't look like they were converting anyone on on helium prime the, the, we just know. didn't see that part but because like, remember he uh uh what's his name the the head guy there lord marshall yeah when he Put all those. He put all the people on Helium Prime into a room and said, "You know, convert, mm-hmm. convert or die." And he took the guy's soul. Remember? Right. Which I thought was cool. That kind of uh, kind of had a few. You know, it's kind of looking at that scene. It kind of reminded me of like Ghost a little bit. Yeah. Like when the guy dies in Ghost, and then you see his, his like spirit come out of the body. Uh huh. It kind of reminded me of that. I, I, that was kind of freaky though. Or um, or the scene at the end of the Mummy, the first Mummy film when when the. Oh right, yeah. When the Same spirits, kind of special effect. Yeah. yeah, when the spirits pulled out of the mum, the the guy who's the mummy, I'm like, well, that's kind of freaky. And of course, everyone's like, yeah, we're gonna bend down now. And I, I love the fact that you know that scene there where they got all the people and they're all kneeling down and Riddick's still standing there. You know, I'm like, good. We're not gonna have one of these. Let's have a long battle where Riddick yeah. doesn't see these guys at first. Let's just let's put them right in the same room. And you know, this is the one where we learn more about Riddick, and his planet, and you know what happened to his people. Right, and some of those scenes, like I said, were not in the uh, theatrical version. Mm-hmm. Uh, particularly those flashback scenes where there's this girl, right? Um, that is, I guess, a spirit or something. I don't know. She's from Furia, oh, the Elemental. No, 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 no. no. Lyric has these little. Yeah, that woman. Scene that- stops, and this woman shows up. That was not in the theatrical version because a lot of it was understood. She's just kind of like explaining what's going on. Mm-hmm. That was not in the uh, oh, okay. original movie, so yeah, I think it needed to be in there though. Mm-hmm. It, it, it kind of it kind of made my made me scratch my head, but I I think it needed to be in there. Yeah, but yeah, and I love the elementals. You know, you had um, 
uh, Judy, Judy Dench playing the elemental, the older lady that I love the look of her, how she kind of see through, see through her a little bit. Cause she's a, a air elemental. That's why I said it. I think, um, uh, David Tooley, he put a lot of effort into putting a backstory to this movie. Yeah. Something that was t- entirely wasn't in Pitch Black. And the one thing, of course, with the money, too, is, like you said before, is this can take place on more than one planet. I love the fact that it's like, okay, we're in this solar system now, and here's the planet we're going to. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I love that it was on a bunch of different planets. And it's just like, that's the way these films should be made. You know, and um, I love the idea of the planet, oh, what is the name? Oh, Crematoria. Yeah. With, with it's, it's either super cold or super hot on the planet. You know, you that was cool. I love that effect. Yeah, I mean, even the ships can't go outside because they start to heat up, and you can see you can see this metal steaming on them. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a prison planet. I thought it was just a great idea of the of the whole thing, and because that because it was interesting because um, Riddick, I, I think Riddick wanted to get caught to get off that planet. Which one? The one at the very beginning? Where he, the, yeah, the Helium two, Prime tombs? No, no, Helium Prime when. When the necromongers took it over, I think he wanted to get off that planet. I think so too. Remember, he just he said, "What took you so long?" When mm-hmm. when Tomb showed up. Yeah. Oh, I see. You brought five guys with you now instead of four because he killed yeah. four. And I love that. And you know, he's not fighting or anything. He's like, "Yeah, just take me over there." You know, it's like, "Get me out of here." And you know, he figures out exactly where they're, where they're going. He's like, "Well, you know, tombs won't take me to these places, and there's only three of these prison planets that can hold me." And he's afraid of these two, so he's going to take me, you know, to Crematoria. And I, I like the little, I don't know what they're called, the seers or whatever that the necromongers have. Yeah. Those guys are the dome faces and <laughs> they could see the vapor trail and all that. Mm-hmm. Those, yeah, they like they look like, like ultraviolet or radar guns or something. Yeah. Freaky looking creatures too. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. I love the, the look and the feel of this movie. Yeah, and then and it's funny, you know, they go to crematoria, and it almost felt like we had a a reverse um, pitch black, you know, the uh, they're screwed. The 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 ship is like on the other part of the planet. They got to run on the surface from where they are to the ship, and they got to get there before the sun gets to them. You know, I love that whole. Let's we got to run. The the thing I don't get about the crematoria thing though, back to when Riddick showed up, is that they would pay to put him there. You know, I, yeah, I don't understand how that worked. Yeah, I mean, he seems like he's the biggest liability of them all. Why would I pay to put him there? <laughs> I, I, I didn't understand that either. But I thought it was interesting. And then, and and it's it's a strange prison because it's more like you you know here you are you're free to go you have free reign down here we're not going to bother you we're going to stay up here and watch you guys. Mm-hmm. Which is you know there's no guards coming down and telling you what to do. And then the, and then you got feeding time. You know, these strange types of uh, uh, tigers or whatever you want to call them that they yeah. let go. They, they, I, I was thinking, are, are, are the prisoners supposed to kill them and eat them or are they supposed to kill the prisoners and, and eat them? Like, who's this feeding time for? Yeah. And, uh, I, and that was one thing. That part that, didn't really make sense. I think it was just an idea. It was just a scene to get to show Riddick and his animalistic instincts i guess which brings us into the third film you know yeah yeah right which i thought was interesting because you know i mean and these creatures had like the same type of eyes as him you know and it's just like he's like a dog it's like oh come on buddy you know it's like okay i'm like yeah that's the third film i, I think we're kind of you know telling us what's going to happen in the third film remind me afterwards i'm going to tell you about his eyes okay you can tell me afterwards 
uh yeah it was uh i thought that that part was interesting but then you know i was a little disappointed that tombs got put in the cage you mm-hmm. know they they ended that storyline right there i was like i kind of wanted tombs to come back in like the third film or see him again or something and i i think that all comes down to they didn't have the budget for it so they made a simple little story for riddick right for the third film right fourth film whatever you want to call it yeah third film i i don't think dark i don't consider dark fear a full-blown film okay. it's just it's a filler but yeah it's uh but I, I love the whole thing with them running across the planet trying to get away from the sun you know it's like the opposite of pitch black instead of like hurry up we got to get there before it gets dark it's like hurry we got to get there before it gets light yeah and uh, we always, every film, I noticed this, with the, mentioned this in the first and third film, there's always a scene where Riddick is like on top of the ship. The beginning of this film, you know, he's taking out the people on Tomb's ship and he's just standing on top of the ship. I like that though. I like his little calling cards. Yeah, every time. And I'm like, so now when the fourth film comes out, I'm like, I'm going to be waiting for a scene similar to these films. <laughs> yeah, um, this was, I, I enjoyed this. I, the, I wasn't a fan of the fact that Jack slash Kira was kind of like a female version of Riddick a little bit. But I think you kind of get that from watching the other films, like watching Pitch Black and watching Dark Fury. um, She epitomizes him. Uh She wants to be him. Right. So I think that's just a natural extension for her to be like, I can, you know, I'm going to be the next Riddick or I'm going to be like him, you know. That was who she looked up to, so... But I, I'm I'm kind of glad she didn't go on to the to live and be in the next film. I, I didn't want to have like two Riddicks in the film. But she wasn't. She tried, but she was not Riddick because uh, obviously we saw it happen. <laughs> right, obviously. Um, what, what did you think about the the final? I, I was looking at the clock. It was like 19 minutes from when he got out of crematorium till when he got you know back to Helium Prime. We talk about that final fight scene. Yeah. I like the fact that he was getting his butt kicked. Yeah. You know, I every other time we see him, he's like either doing, you know, breaking even or he's ahead of the other person in the fight. I love the fact that he's fighting the Lord Marshal who can move faster than him. You see him swinging and all of a sudden the Lord Marshal behind him and hitting him in the back of the head. And it's just like. But the I'm, thing is, you're looking when I was watching that scene and I see Riddick fighting, he looks like he's a slower version of himself. He was swinging really slow. Maybe they slowed. But I guess maybe that was just part of the effect, you know. I think it was just to make it so the other guy could move faster, type of thing. But I, I like that. And then, of course, as that's going on, I'm like, here's what's going to happen. He's going to be the guy's going to move into the wrong place at the wrong time, or he, you know, Riddick's going to predict where he's going to go and aim there. You know, like the guy's going to. I loved how it ended. Actually, I, I did. It was one of the yeah because you knew that. Um, Carl Urban's character through the whole film was like, I, I, I want to be the new banana. I want to be the new chief. I want to, this guy needs to go. Let's kill him yeah. or let's get him out of here. And, and Dame Vaco's like, here's your chance, go. And then they, you see, I love the slow motion. You see him swinging the, the big axe down and all of a sudden, you know, the guy comes over to lands and he's like right in front of Riddick and Riddick's like, yeah, you're dead. <laughs> yeah. I, I love that. And I love the final scene of him on the, uh, on the throne. Which, of course, gets explained, you know, what happens five years later in the third film. No, but this is also, it looks just like Conan the Barbarian. Do you remember Conan the Barbarian? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where he becomes King Conan. Mm-hmm. It's almost the same scene. You're right, though. He's sitting in the throne because now he realizes the throne. Everyone's just like, oh, my God, he's our And leader. he's like, you keep what you kill. I know. I love that. It's just like, 
That was great. I mean, th- this film had three stories in it to me. There was the, the Lord Marshall story. There was the Carl Urban story, which I thought there was going to be more of that story for some reason. And then there was the tomb story. No, I think there's a fourth story. There's the there's Riddick discovering his past. Oh, that's true. As too. a Furian. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, we didn't talk about that, but there was a scene, um, you know, when they were on crematorium. The purifier. The what? Was he called the purifier? I think you're talking about that guy. Oh, the other Furian. Mm-hmm. Which, uh, like I said, that scene where he's about to get killed, uh, Riddick's about to get killed, and then it does that stop motion, and then it shows that girl. Mm-hmm. That was not in the in the theatrical cut. It kind of just turned blue and exploded. Mm. Nothing was explained, mm. and I like it better where it stops and says, "Okay, you're a Furian. This is what you have built into you." The one thing, though, that we know that Riddick does know is Furia is just basically an empty planet now. He's like Superman. He's the last of his kind. But he doesn't know that yet. Yeah. You know, he still wants to go to this planet. And, and, and the Necromongers said something early in the film. It's like, oh, yeah, Furia. Yeah, I remember, we remember that planet. It's, you know, it's a desert planet now because obviously they destroyed everybody there except for Riddick. Yeah, because Lord Marshall has basically had that, um, what do you call it? Someone told him he needs to kill everybody there. Mm-hmm. Your demise will be from this planet or something like that. It's kind of weird when him and Riddick are looking at each other. It's like, I, I know you from somewhere. I've met you before type of scene. Mm-hmm. And they both have it. And I'm like, ooh, ooh, I want to know now. And you find out, you know, it's like, oh, years ago. That's what it is. And, um, you know, that, that also explains, I don't know, can we talk about Riddick since we reviewed yeah. it earlier? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's where it kicks off. He wants to find Furia. He wants to find his homeland and all that. Yeah. I mean, that's the whole setup for that one. Um, to me, this is the best of the three films. Yes, thank you. <laughs> you the funny thing is, the first few minutes of the film, you could smell the budget of this film is huge. But it's sad that it didn't make money. You know, I think. Well, here's what I think. I was thinking about this. Why it didn't make money is because the people that enjoyed Pitch Black went to see this. The people that did not know that this was a sequel did not go see this. I think I think the fact that you, you called it the Chronicles of Riddick, unless you watched the first film or knew Riddick was in the first film, you might not have been like, yeah, okay, whatever. You saying it should have been Pitch Black 2 <laughs> is the title? I think they should have mentioned in the trailers, by the way, this is a follow-up to this other Vin Diesel film, you know? Instead so of I think it did make money back DVD-wise. Yeah, it, it was kind of a sleeper hit. It broke even that. at the theater or got close to it, and it probably made a pro- it made a profit on DVD. Um, I'm looking at Wikipedia and it says it was a success on DVD and that's the same thing happened till, you know, the third film. So, uh-huh. and now we're going to get a fourth film. Um, so that, that's what disappointed me so much about the third film about Riddick is they did not take this storyline further. I know they didn't have the budget to do what they wanted to do, but I'm waiting for that. I'm waiting for the underverse. I'm waiting what? for that movie and i'm kind of glad we watched riddick before we watched this because riddick was a better film before i saw this now it's not as good yeah you know this is by far the better film it's got more in it i i am glad that carl urban came back for a few minutes and we kind of got a little connection between that film and this film Mm -hmm. you know it's not like okay you're just on a desert planet by yourself now what's going on they kind of tried to explain a little bit but now the third film ends it's like we need to have a sequel to this film you know, I think that's what they're set. They set up, you know, because I think Tui actually set up the second film to make the follow up to it, the to to continue that storyline. 
Mm-hmm. But you know, it's like, like you said, the budget was like nothing. So it's like, all right, we have to do Pitch Black too. Yeah. So hopefully we will get that film soon. And hopefully it won't be five or six years down the road. Uh, uh, we'll see how good Fast and Furious does. <laughs> those always make money, though. So that's the thing. Yeah. You know, those always make money. But yeah, I uh, love the film. L- I'd love to know more about the Necromongers. They were great. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're gonna watch, if you have to watch one of the three, I would watch this one. Yeah, because it is a self-contained story. Mm-hmm. You don't have to know Pitch Black to watch this. No, you don't have to know anything about it. But yeah, it's um, it it went by fast, you know. It did, yeah. A long film went by fast and uh, a lot of action. Do you think it would have been better if we could have just knocked it up to to an R-rated film? I don't know. I think it was already a good film. I, I it would be more satisfying on the the, the, the fight uh, scenes. Fight scenes. I mean, there was one scene I remember. Uh, Riddick had like two knives and he cut this guy's head off the, and the head came coming up the screen and mm-hmm. that was still there. Yeah. But I don't know if that was just because it was director's cut. But. Yeah, I don't know. I'd have to go and see what the scenes differences were between the two movies. But yeah, very good film. Uh, you know, this is what I want. I want them to go start traveling around more. I want the underverse. I want, I want more information on it. I want more on the next Do you, do you want to be spoiled on Riddick's eyes or do you want to do that off? podcast let's do it off podcast we'll talk about it right after and you can explain okay. it to me um let's wrap it up here then uh make sure you uh go to tardis uh, tardis, not tardis oh we didn't get a rating oh uh f- out of five four for me four strong four and, and a half for me but still i really the best enjoyed one. this film still the best one yeah so yeah definitely go check out the chronicles of riddick and if you head over to sci-fi watcher.com we have affiliate links for this go click on them takes you to amazon doesn't cost you anything extra and helps out the show uh, make sure you, you subscribe to our feeds because we've got tons of stuff there. Uh, we're gonna, Upcoming episodes, we're going to talk about Helix, Space Dandy, Almost Human Returns to Fox this Monday. We'll have an episode on that. We're going to go back and talk about the origins of Red Dwarf with a radio skit called Dave Holland's Space Cadet. And next week, we are going to read the book Ender's Game in preparation for the DVD release of the movie so we know what we're talking about. I want to thank my friend, Mr. Brian Lee, for being here. And Brian, where can we find you online? Uh, you can always find me on Twitter. It's at Brian Says. That's Brian with a Y. And as always, find us over at SciFiWatcher.com. That's where we'll get links to everything. You can email us at feedback at stateproductions.com or drop us a voicemail, 813-915-6390. Facebook.com, Google.com slash plus SciFiWatcher. Facebook is SciFiWatcher. Twitter is at SciFiWatcher. Follow us over there. We post stories. We post other stuff over at those places. So you can talk to us over there, too. And uh, if you can join us, we do our show normally on Sunday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern time. It's at SciFiWatcher.com slash live. I want to thank everyone out there for downloading this week's episode. Until next time, have a good one. Bye.